Please open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4. And I'd like to get a picture up on the screen to get us started this morning. God has done some incredible things this weekend. Student Weekend 2022. On Friday and Saturday nights, 15 churches and close to 400 students, not to mention their youth pastors and their leaders, gathered for worship. After worship, churches went to host homes and lock-ins all across the city to continue in small groups, equipping students in how they can overcome Satan, the flesh, and the world. Our own church had 14 host homes, 25 small group leaders, and 100 students take part in this incredible weekend. New relationships were formed between youth groups. Discipleship steps were taken, and students gave their lives to Christ. We even had one of our own accept Christ for the first time. So thank you, Lawndale. Thank you, Lawndale, for your part in allowing us to host this incredible weekend, all for the glory of God. So today's sermon, my hope for this message is that it will be a finale for the weekend, that it will be an encouragement, a commission, a send-off, not only to our students, but also to our entire church family. Because that's what we are. We're a family. And the students are a part of this family. And let me say they're an incredible part. Y'all, the energy from these students this weekend has just been incredible. I love being able to work with them. It's such a privilege to be able to to, uh, minister to them in this particular portion of the body of Christ. But this message today is not just for them. It's for our entire church family. And it's called the heart of ministry. It takes heart to be a believer. It takes heart to overcome But as we follow the lead of King Jesus, the great overcomer, we can also overcome. So I'm going to read verse 1 from chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, and then I'll pray. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, I want to praise you and thank you for everything that you've done during this weekend. Lord, thank you for the unity that we've seen across our city as 15 churches have come together, close to 400 students, Lord. Thank you for the decisions that were made. Thank you for the discipleship steps that were taken. And Lord, for these next few minutes, I pray that you'll get me out of the way. I do not want to be what people see or hear this morning. I want them to see and hear you from your word. So that's what we ask for this morning as we talk about what it looks like to have a heart of ministry. In Jesus' name, amen. The story of Louis Zamperini provides a perfect picture of what it means to overcome. As a young boy, Louis was often picked on because of his Italian ethnicity. More than once, he found himself running away from bullies until one day his older brother Peter saw how fast he was and decided to train him to become a runner. It was through running that Louis found out what it meant to be disciplined. He eventually earned the nickname the Torrance Tornado. He was from Torrance, California. And he went on to run in the 1936 Summer Olympics. A few years later, Louis was serving as an Air Force pilot in the midst of World War II. And after a mission gone bad, found himself adrift at sea in the Pacific Ocean, listen to this, for 47 days. But it doesn't stop there. At the end of these 47 days, Louis and his friends were captured by Japanese soldiers and sent to prisoner of war camps back in Japan for close to two years. During this time, Louis caught the attention of a ruthless Japanese corporal known as the Bird, who made it his personal mission to break the American soldier. 
but Louis wouldn't break. Day after day, he pressed through the cruel tortures that the bird put him through. Finally, at the end of the the war, Louis was rescued and made it back home. He went on to give his life to Jesus and eventually forgave the bird. So whether it be as a bullied kid, an Olympic runner, a soldier lost at sea, a prisoner of war, or as a follower of Jesus, Louis had heart and Louis knew what it meant to overcome. So as Christians, we, we have something to learn from Louis. We are called to overcome. We are called to have heart. Today, we're going to finish our weekend by talking about what it means to overcome and what it means specifically to have a heart of ministry. Genesis tells us that we live in a fallen and broken world. We've been going through Genesis 1 through 11 with Pastor Rodney. From those chapters, we know that we live in a messed up world, but Jesus tells us that through him, we can overcome that world. That's John 16. In in 2 Corinthians, Paul's going to tell us a little bit about how we can do it. So this message is for believers who need some encouragement. It's for those who may be tired or weary in your faith. It is for those who need a boost. It is for those who need a reminder that we have been sent into that broken world to overcome in the name of King Jesus. Every believer has been given a gospel ministry. That's why every believer is called to have a heart of ministry. The ministers are not just the pastors. They're not just the deacons. Every believer has been given a gospel ministry. We all share in this. We didn't earn this ministry. We don't deserve it. But the fact is that we have it. Unfortunately, many people don't know this and many more are not acting on it. So it's my hope today that you will know and act on the ministry that God has given you that you will demonstrate a heart of ministry. And this is how we will overcome Satan, the flesh, and the world. That brings us to our main idea. Overcome darkness with a heart of ministry through the resurrection power of Jesus. One more time. Overcome darkness with a heart of ministry through the resurrection power of Jesus. So as we talk about overcoming darkness, the the first thing I want to bring up is is overcoming falsehood. I'm going to read verses one through six from chapter four. Therefore, since through God's mercy, we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled... It is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ." Overcome falsehood and share the truth of the gospel. That's the first step in a heart of ministry. Overcome falsehood and share the truth of the gospel. Paul spends much of 2 Corinthians defending his ministry. There were a lot of people in the Corinthian church that were trying to discredit Paul. They didn't like him too much. So he spends a lot of 2 Corinthians defending his credentials. And as he does so, he provides some helpful tips for how we should carry out our own ministries that God has given us. And part of having a heart of ministry is sharing the truth of the gospel. 
I think we can all acknowledge that we live in a world full of lies. Falsehood, deceit. The God of this age referred to in this passage is talking about Satan. And we know him also as the father of lies. Relativism has taken hold and we are told that there's no such thing as absolute truth. Fake news, scandals, cover-ups are a normal part of daily life. But as ministers of the gospel, we are called to be different. Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. And as his followers, we must be a people of truth. Being a people of the truth involves two things. It involves our presentation and their response. So what is our job when it comes to to sharing and presenting the gospel? The passage tells us that we do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. We have renounced secret and shameful ways. We can't minister out of manipulation. We must minister out of truth. And if we're being honest, the the church probably owes the the world a little bit of an apology. And what I mean by that is to to think of all the times that, that Christians throughout history maybe even in our own lives, think of all the times that Christians have used the gospel to control people when the gospel is really meant to control us. The gospel is not a tool that we're supposed to use to, to manipulate people into doing, the, to doing what we want. It's a tool that we share with them so that they can be controlled by the master and the King Jesus. We also cannot minister to lift up ourselves. We must minister to lift up Jesus. John 3.30 says this, Jesus must become greater, I must become less. Think of all the ministry that has been done. Think of all the ministry that maybe even you have done in the name of man rather than the name of Jesus. The falsehood that we're talking about in this passage comes in a couple of different forms. There's There's the blatant and obvious falsehood, false teaching, enemies of the church. The church has a lot of enemies, Right? They, don't, they don't believe what we believe in the Bible. They, they don't agree with some of the things that we believe. It's easy to spot that, but the harder falsehood to spot is that of compromise. The world slowly creeping its way into the church. This is harder to recognize. Sometimes the church is its own enemy as we let the, the world into our, our walls. As I was studying for this message, I, I learned something about the church at Corinth. We, we, I think most of us just assume through the New Testament, that all of the churches were persecuted. But that wasn't the case with Corinth. Corinth actually got along really well with the world, which was part of the reason that they had all of these sinful practices as a part of their church. The church got along with the world. It was in so that the world found its way into the church. James Moffat says this, the church was in the world as it had to be, but the world was in the church as it ought not to be. And I ask the question to each and every one of us, Are we guilty of letting the the world into the church? So that's a little bit about our presentation of the truth. As we fight against falsehood, we also have to be concerned with their response. Throughout this weekend, we've talked about how there are three sources of evil in the world. There's Satan, the flesh, and the world. For believers, I would argue that that probably the flesh is the, the trickiest of those three enemies because it's the enemy within us. We can acknowledge that Satan's out there. We can acknowledge that the world's pulling us into its clutches, but it's hard to acknowledge that we have an enemy right here in our own hearts. But this passage makes clear that for unbelievers, Satan is the greatest enemy. His goal is to blind people to the light of the gospel. So Paul uses this metaphor of light. How does light work? It allows us to see things. 
And Paul says that the gospel is the light that allows us to see God through the person of Jesus. He also references Genesis in these verses. At creation, God called light out of darkness through the gospel. God does the same with us. He calls us out of darkness and into the light. Think of Paul's own testimony. He was a persecutor of the church until that day that he was on the Damascus road. The Lord signs from heaven to him, reveals himself to Paul. He calls Paul from darkness to light. And he's done the same with each and every one of us that have put our faith in him. So what does this mean for us? It's not our place to force people to accept the gospel. It is simply our job to present it. And what we have to remember, what I'm always reminding the students, if people reject the gospel, they're not rejecting us. They're rejecting God. Pastor Rodney said something in staff meeting this past week and that it's better to minister out of, out of grief, out of hurt, than it is out of anger. So as believers, we shouldn't be, I, I believe this applies to our sharing of the gospel. We shouldn't be angry that people aren't accepting the gospel. We should hurt for them. We should grieve for them like Paul grieved for his fellow Jews who wouldn't accept Christ. We should pray in faith that God will open their hearts and then we should live out that faith by putting the gospel in front of them again and again and again. Once again, it's not our job to force them to accept it. It's just our job to present it. Through the years, I've had many people who have walked into my office and who have talked to me about all the reasons that they can't be a Christian. We believe this. We believe that. Evolution says this. Uh, the, The cultural war says this. They have fallen into the trap of believing all of the lies that the father of lies, the devil, has forced down their throats. So when I was younger, when I was in middle and high school, I would get on Facebook and I would, I would argue, I would defend the faith, right? And there's a place for that. There's a place for apologetics. But I've changed my strategy a little bit. When I talk to these people now, my strategy is always the same. I don't get distracted with the questions and the lies. We'll come back to those. We'll answer the questions. We'll sort out the truth. But my strategy now is to simply love them and to present to them truth. I give them the gospel. For too long, the church has looked too much like the world. When the church looks like the world, we are actually lying to the world because Jesus called us to be set apart. Jesus called us to be different. Jesus called us to be salt and light. And Jesus called us to be a people of truth. So I ask the question, do you have a heart of ministry? Are you sharing the truth of the gospel in a world of falsehood? Moving on to verses seven through 12, we'll talk about this idea of overcoming suffering. This is my favorite part of this passage. So let's read it together. Verses seven through 12. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Overcome suffering and show the resurrection of Jesus. All weekend long, our students have been looking at this question of what it means to overcome. We know that because we live in a fallen and broken world, each and every one of us has something that we need to overcome. Think of what that might be for you right now. 
For some, maybe it's an addiction. For others, anxiety, loneliness, depression, anger, the loss of a loved one, sickness or injury or, or disease. And ultimately, the, the greatest enemy that all of us have to overcome is, is death. And this passage is a reminder that we cannot overcome anything on our own. In a do-it-yourself culture, we might think that we can, but we are just fooling ourselves. And we really do live in a do-it-yourself culture. We like to solve all of our own problems. We throw the instruction manuals away. We watch YouTube videos so we can learn how to do things for ourselves. But to truly overcome, you have to get to know the overcomer. To truly overcome sin, you have to first get to know the Savior. So I think verses 7 through 12 answer a couple of really important questions for us. Number one, why is it so easy as a believer to get discouraged? Raise your hand if you're a believer and you've been discouraged before. That's pretty much everybody in the room. So why is it so easy as a believer to get discouraged? In verse 7, Paul says this, We have this treasure in jars of clay. We have the gospel treasure in jars of clay. We have the gospel treasure inside of our weak, frail, mortal human bodies. So I'm a superhero guy. I love superheroes. And when I read this passage, I couldn't help but think of Clark Kent versus Superman. Got any Superman fans in here? Okay. So think about Clark Kent. He's a very ordinary, average guy. He's got his white button up. He's got his business casual on. He's got his glasses. Nothing special. Very ordinary. No superpowers. That's kind of like the the jars of clay. That's like our weak, mortal, human bodies. But when Clark Kent pulls that that shirt open and you see the, the S on his chest, he becomes somebody different. There's something inside of him that's more powerful, that's able to do incredible things. He becomes Superman. That's kind of how it is for us as believers. On the outside, we're just Clark Kent. But on the inside, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the the ability that Jesus has given us to overcome, we become something greater in his power. So why is it so easy for a believer to get discouraged? I think that the reason God set things up this way is because he knew our hearts. He didn't want us to forget that the, the gospel that he put in motion is what saved us. He didn't ever want us to take credit for the salvation that he secured One of my favorite hymns is Come Thou Fountain. My favorite line from that hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And aren't our hearts so prone to leave the God that we love? So if we were were Superman all the time, we would start taking credit for the gospel. We would start taking credit for our own salvation. So God allows us to continue dealing with some of this human weakness to remind us that he is God and we are not. The passage says that he does this to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Question number two, why is it that we have to endure suffering as Christians? Why can't God just snap his finger as soon as we're saved and make our lives perfect? Take away our sickness, take away our anxiety, our loneliness, our addiction, all of these different things. Why can't he do that? One of the reasons that we are allowed to continue suffering as Christians is because suffering reminds us that we need a savior. It is a regular reminder as we go through the ups and downs of life that we need somebody beyond ourselves. We need Jesus. Another reason that we are allowed to suffer is to show the world the story of our suffering Savior. 
I want to read verses eight and nine again, but this time, don't, don't put yourself in those verses. Let's, let's think about Jesus as we read those verses again. Jesus was hard pressed on every side, but he was not crushed. He was perplexed, but not in despair. He was persecuted, but not abandoned. He was struck down, but not destroyed. Jesus suffered and died on the cross, but he then raised himself from the dead. The same thing happens in us. The world may cause us pain and heartache. The world may knock us down again and again, but as believers, it should not overcome us. We may suffer, but we will not be overcome. So what does this mean for us? If you're in this room and you're an unbeliever, I ask you the question, are you tired of fighting? Are you tired of trying to overcome this world in your own power? Because if I had my guess, it's probably not going too well for you. And that's because this world is is much greater than anything we can handle. Satan is more than any of us can handle. Our flesh is more than any of us can handle. And if you're tired of fighting, the only way that you can rest and lay that burden down is to give your life to Christ. Make him the Lord of your life. Now, if you're a believer in this room, I want you to remember verse 11. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. That's not a great pep talk. We are always being given over to death. Does anybody feel that? Some people might be feeling that, especially today, as you struggle through these different things. Some of the best times of worship in my life have come at points of weakness. And I think that's how God oftentimes works. When I've been beat up or when I'm exhausted, these are the times that I can look to Jesus and look to Jesus alone in true worship. Maybe we need to get there a little bit more often. Maybe that's what God is waiting on us as the church to do. Recently, my dad has quoted this verse to me several times. Second Chronicles 7.14, you'll know this one. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Sometimes it takes us getting to a point of weakness, a point of realizing that we can't handle things on our own to truly worship King Jesus. So I ask you again, do you have a heart of ministry? Are you showing the resurrection of Jesus through your suffering? It's normal to suffer. It reminds us of of our savior. Last but not least, we'll talk about overcoming the greatest enemy of all, and that is death. Let's read verses 13 through 18 together. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Verse 16, therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now that is a good pep talk. 
What we learn from those final verses is that we can overcome death and be assured of eternal life. Everything we've talked about today has been great so far. As believers, we have the ability to overcome in a world of falsehood. As believers, we have the ability to overcome in a world of suffering. But that's not all. As believers, we also have the ability to overcome in a world of death. And because of that, it is our job to spread the good news. That's why Paul says, I believe, therefore I have spoken. It's almost as if he's saying, because I believe, I have to speak. That's what he's saying in verse 13. If you believe, you cannot be silent. If you believe, you must speak. How could you not? We have the answer to falsehood and suffering and even death. We're Christians. We're the salt and the light of the earth. It's our job to spread these things that our world needs. They need truth. They need an answer to why we have to suffer. They need to see the resurrection power of Jesus. And ultimately, they need to know how to overcome death. I love verse 15, especially after this weekend. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Church, that's what happened this weekend. We had almost 400 students up here in the front of our worship center giving thanks to our Lord, praising him. And what's gonna happen with those students is that they're gonna go back to their churches and they're gonna go back to their schools and they're gonna go back to their families and their co-ops and their sports teams and their bands and their clubs and everything else. And they're gonna spread the good news so that the grace of Jesus can continue to spread. That's what we mean when we say that students can start a revival. The gospel message will spread As soon as believers start doing their jobs, that is the promise that we hear in verse 15. The gospel message will spread when believers start doing their jobs. Unfortunately, many Christians haven't been doing our job. I'm guilty of that, just as many of you might be. But let me encourage you in this. Everyone can do this. Everyone can take this message of overcoming to the world. The Great Commission does not say, go therefore and speak about the gospel to large crowds. So if you have a fear of public speaking, you're good. The Great Commission does not say, go therefore and win every single person that you know. That would be awesome, but that's not what the Great Commission says. It simply says, go therefore and make disciples. It starts with one. Talk to that neighbor. Talk to that best friend. Talk to that family member. Talk to that coworker. Make disciples one by one. Also in this passage, Paul points out something pretty incredible about the Christian walk. Jesus has overcome in the past by dying on the cross and rising from the grave. We celebrate that more than anything else at church. Jesus will overcome in the future by coming back for us and restoring this broken world. We're looking forward to that day. But what we oftentimes miss out on is the present. Jesus has overcome in the present by filling us with the Holy Spirit. We forget about that, church. We forget about abundant life here in the present by always focusing on the eternal life that is to come. And eternal life is a great thing. But Jesus has offered us more than that. He has offered us abundant life here in the present. We can live on earth right now with the peace and the rest of Jesus. How do we do this? By fixing our eyes on Jesus. When we do that, we will overcome. I say that to students so often as they come with discipleship questions and family situations and temptations and struggles, my advice is fix your eyes on Jesus. 
I can give you tips and tricks to, to fight against these things, but you need to look at Jesus. You don't need to look at me. You don't need to look at another pastor. You need to look at Jesus. Paul says again in verse 16, just like he said in verse one, <clears throat> therefore we do not lose heart. Where does this heart of ministry truly come from? It comes from realizing that we are being renewed even as we are wasting away. So on those days that you feel tired in your body, your spirit can be renewed as a Christian. That's exciting. That's special. It comes from thinking with an eternal perspective rather than a temporary one. How do we remember all of these things? Once again, we fix our eyes on Jesus, the resurrected King. So I ask once again, do you have a heart of ministry? Are you living with the assurance of eternal life? If you're not, you have the ability to do that today by putting your faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord. Putting your faith in Jesus is not easy. And any pastor or preacher that gets up and says, following Jesus is easy, they're lying to you. It's not easy, but it is simple. If you're tired of fighting against this world, if you know that you don't have a relationship with Jesus, the first thing that you need to do is to admit that you're a sinner and repent of those sins. That's pretty easy for all of us to do. If I, if I went around and said, who's a sinner in here? We would all raise our hands. The next step is a little bit harder. It's to believe that Jesus is the son of God, that he's the one way to heaven. Going back to that world of falsehood, we're told that all sorts of different ways and religions and routes can get you to heaven. That's not true. Jesus is the one way to heaven. We have to put our faith in him as savior and Lord. We admit that we're a sinner. We believe in Jesus as the son of God. The next part's the hardest. We have to give our lives over to him. We have to turn control over to him. That's the part that's really not easy because we want to be the kings and the queens of our own life. But that's not, that's not how you follow Jesus. You give him total control. So here in a minute, as the band comes on back up, we're going to have a, a time of response. If you're sitting out there and, and the Holy Spirit is stirring in your heart, maybe pushing you to make that decision to follow Christ for the first time, we encourage you to, to come and, and talk to somebody about that. We also want to open the, the altar for, for anybody that might just need to, to come and pray about that heart of ministry. Are you doing what you need to do to share the gospel? Are you doing what you need to do to show Jesus, to show his resurrection power through your suffering? Are you living with the assurance of eternal life? I'm gonna invite our, our students as well. If, if you guys want to come up here in a minute and pray with your small groups about decisions that you've made this weekend, feel free to do that. I wanna invite the church to come and do the same. But I wanna close with this. When I was in youth group, we often sang a song based on this passage called Trading My Sorrows. It went like this. I'm trading my sorrows. I'm trading my shame. I'm laying them down for the joy of the Lord. I'm trading my sickness. I'm trading my pain. I'm laying them down for the joy of the Lord. Though the sorrow may last for the night, his joy comes in the morning. So once again, overcome darkness with a heart of ministry through the resurrection power of Jesus. 
As a believer, you can overcome falsehood, suffering, and even death. So one final time, I ask you the question, how are you doing with the heart of ministry? I'll pray for us and we'll continue in our response time. Dear Lord, once again, we thank you for this day, for this worship service, for this weekend, for all of the things that you've done in the lives of students, not only at Lawndale Baptist, but at 14 other churches across our city. Lord, we praise you for that. Your grace is spreading. Your gospel is spreading. We thank you for that. And Lord, I I hope that today has been a challenge for our church to demonstrate the heart that it takes to be a believer, to demonstrate the heart of ministry by sharing the gospel, by suffering in the resurrection power of Jesus, and by being assured of eternal life. Lord, if we have people today that that need to come pray and get something straight with you, I, I pray that you'll give them the courage to step out and to come do that. Whether that be students, leaders, adults, host homes, whoever it might be, Lord, help us to take that step of faith. Help us to start doing our job as believers. And Lord, if there's anyone in this room that that is feeling that tug to come and to follow you for the first time, I pray that they will, will step out and that they'll make that decision. Admit that they're sinners, put their faith in you as Savior and Lord, and give control of their lives over to you. Lord, it may sound scary to do that. We know that it can be, but it is so, so worth it. Lord, be with us. Help us to have the heart of ministry. In Jesus' name, amen.